Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Should we do it? Should we start it up? Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode. And today's episode, ooh, I just, I just have to get it out. Um, it's something I've wanted to do a video on for, I think over a year, a year and a half feels like two years, feels like 10 years who can keep track of time anymore. Uh, time has become uh, a very kind of funky nebulous concept for me. And if you thought you were going to have time to catch your breath in the off season, it's looking like that's not going to be the case. As of recording this, they are targeting a December 22nd return for the NBA on a 72-game schedule. And so that will be a really quick break after the shutdown and then the bubble and all that stuff. So I, I hope I hope you're enjoying yourself. I hope you're enjoying this very strange off-season. Uh, we are in... When is it? See, I have to look it up. We're near the end of October, and we're in the off season. This is usually when the season is starting. So basically, because of all this, I said, okay, look, I'm never going to get this top 10 passers thing done. Right now, I am preparing production for the Greatest Peaks series, which is targeting about an end of this end of November launch. Now, originally, I was trying to feather this into the longest down period that we were going to have, you know, anticipating a couple months off and then getting back to normal and filling that couple months void with this series, basically. And the series is still going to go on as planned. But the, the point of it is I have no idea when I'm going to have time for something like this top 10 passing video. Um, which now we're going to do as a podcast. I think that's that's the only way for me to get this out, is to just discuss the top 10 passers as I see them and some of the challenges that come with breaking down passers in this fashion. I, I do think in general, it, it's interesting. Obviously, I find passing to be very valuable. I think passing is a critically important part of the game. And it's discussed a lot at a high level. I mean, it comes up. Someone's a good scorer. Someone's a good shooter. Someone's a good passer. Someone's a good defender. We we typically think of the sport in those buckets when we kind of talk about things at 10,000 feet. Or maybe that's 5,000 feet. I don't know. But it's still pretty high level. And yet, when I started to dive into this project, which, as I said, was sometime during the 2019 season, basically what I was realizing is, yeah, I think we all kind of agree on the construct of, of what great passing is. But when you get down to the nitty gritty and try to differentiate passers, there are a lot of factors in play that make this a tricky thing to do. So like many of the 
Thinking Basketball Top 10 podcasts. I'll discuss this and I'll discuss sort of the fluidity and I'll end up with a top 10 list and I won't feel very good about it. Um, It'll be fun going through, but some of these things are just very difficult to, even at that one dimension of passing, they're very difficult to stack up and weigh against, you know, one player has A and the other player has B. What do we do with that conceptually? So without much further ado, let's just jump in here and start with guys that I think are candidates for the number 10 spot, the 10th best passer in the NBA right now. Well, you know, largely based on where we were at the end of the 2020 season, I'm not really going to do too much projecting forward per se. But as I said, this is a project I've been looking at uh, as part of work I've done in film studies I've done both in 2020 and in 2019. Let's start by comparing two candidates I looked at here uh, because I think they introduced some of the philosophical challenges. One is Kyrie Irving and the other is Joe Ingles. Now, Joe Ingles to me, you can see it on film and pick it up in some of the data, is better at, I certainly he's sort of a better connective tissue passer. I think he's better at extra passes. His height allows him to see over the top. I think in general, he's better. He has a better feel for finding certain open paint passes or high value layup passes. And you might think if you agree with that assessment, if you're someone who is familiar with the diming up of Joe Ingles, you might think, well, wait a second. Ingles versus Irving, I don't think of Irving as a great passer. Um, Certainly he's got some pick and roll chops as a passer, but he's not, you know, elite in that category either. So why are we stacking these guys up? Isn't it obvious that Ingles is a better passer? And the challenge for me is that Irving creates more open passing opportunities. His handle and his threat to shoot allows him to probe around the court, break defenses down, draw defenders toward him in a way that allows him to have more opportunities. Now, I want to be very clear. The exercise today, the purpose of this podcast, is not to discuss the top playmakers in the league. That, to me, is a very different thing. Passing is a part of the larger piece of playmaking. Playmaking sort of implies just pure volume of setting up shots. It doesn't imply difficulty or even quality necessarily. So uh, if you dumped it into the post in the old days and you were doubled constantly and you kicked it out for an 18-footer, that may be voluminous playmaking of that type for teammates who are taking those 18-footers, but it doesn't suggest many great things about your passing. Passing is more of what I think Ingles brings to the table in general in this conversation versus playmaking. But even if we say, okay, passing is about hitting the open man, it's about, I think, I think for me, the simplest way to describe it is that a good passer is someone who moves the ball to the highest leverage point on the court at any given time with the caveat that, you know, you want to optimize. In other words, uh, if 
you're dribbling and one guy is slightly open and the other guy is mildly open, you don't immediately pass to the mildly open player. Optimizing with your passing is trying to hit something of value, whether that's an open three-point shooter or a cutter or finding the backside so you get a dangerous two-on-one or the obvious ones are just layup passes. If you've read any of my old work or the Backpicks Top 40, I talk about layup passes and the percentage of hitting these wide open versus tight layup passes. It's something that I track and pay attention to constantly, both when I watch historical film and current film on players to kind of understand their passing acumen. Because at the end of the day, maybe with the exception of um, some outlets, which kind of have the same quality and certain kickouts to three-point shooters, you know, there are other types of passes moving the ball along uh, quickly, I think has value as a passer. But really what we're trying to do in basketball is hit those home runs by finding your open guys for layups. You know, the defense has some breakdown or there's some vulnerability that you want to hit. So that's the big caveat. You want to optimize, but the goal with your passes is to move the ball to these high leverage places uh, at any given time. Okay, so what does that mean for players like Ingles and Irving? Well, Ingles isn't a huge scoring threat. He's actually not really much of a scoring threat on his own. He's a good spot-up shooter and kind of finisher of plays in that sense. But, you know, in his case, he's not collapsing the defense constantly, playing pick and roll constantly, trying to find lobs or pocket passes. He's not breaking you down off the defense, getting into the paint, uh, and then laying it off. That that lay down pass for so many decades has been a staple of great perimeter penetrators who can get into the lane and then capitalize the second that big man uh, rotates over to stop the drive. And so someone like Irving is voluminous in that area. Yes, the volume is one thing, but he's also just going to constantly have so many different types of passes to dial up to access as part of his passing repertoire compared to someone like Ingles. Uh, Any point guard who plays strictly pick and roll, spread pick and roll passing, how do we compare that passing in a reasonably even playing field, on, on a reasonably even playing field, to a center, to someone like Marc Gasol or Bam Adebayo, a guy who maybe operates from the top uh, for most of his passes, mid-post, kind of sometimes back to the basket, usually facing up, trying to hit cutters or throw things over the top. You're not necessarily dribbling uh, and then passing. You're not passing on the move and things like that. So, This actually became the sticking point in this exercise for me. This is why I think this is a a kind of a two-year podcast in the making. What do you do with this stuff? I, I don't have an answer to that that I'm entirely comfortable with. The focus I've always had, of course, is on the efficiency. You know, do you connect with the opportunities that you have? But... It's a very different passing game for some big men versus some guards, you know, pick and roll heavy guys, things like that. So I'll just talk these through as we kind of go through the strengths and weaknesses of the candidates. Um, Kyle Lowry versus Ben Simmons. It's another potential kind of number 10 or number, 
nine guys. You know, basically to do this, I stacked up uh, tons and tons of passers in the league, and I'm starting our conversation here on this episode just with the with the candidates who are on the fringe. Well, Lowry plays in pick and roll, but this his scoring game doesn't necessarily lend itself to the same passes that other pick and roll players have. Simmons, on the other hand, I mean, he has no jump shot. So even when he's the operator in pick and roll or when he's spread out on the court, the passing lanes and the passing angles are totally different. I think Simmons is an excellent transition passer, uses his size and speed and dexterity very well in those situations. In the half court, when he gets downhill, which is you know his primary mode of, of attack outside of some bully ball in the post, and he's got a little hook shot as of right now in the post, usually with that right hand, um, he can make passes, but he's not someone who, you know, the second he gets a half a step is pushing the ball off his wrist as it comes up from the dribble. He's not Jokic. He's not someone who's at the elbow and goes to make a move and feels a second defender and make some perfect pass. And I say this as someone who likes Ben Simmons's passing. It just if we if we made a list of all of the types of passes you could make, I don't necessarily feel Simmons checks a lot of those boxes primarily because of his scoring in the half court, pr- primarily because of how he plays and how he's a threat. Lowry on the other hand feels like again it's a similar story it feels like his pick and roll game and this goes back to the video I did on him last offseason you know he'll take the pull-up three he can be very aggressive with that or he'll kind of probe but he's not someone who uses size and athleticism to get downhill and then at the last second drops it off or makes spectacular skip passes to three-point shooters or things like that but, I mean, boy, Kyle Lauer is a really good passer. He, he's phenomenal little pocket passes. Um, great feel for kind of early passes in roll man situations. Just the number of times he'll hit a guy like Serge Ibaka or Marcus Gasol, you know, 12 feet out in the lane. So they're making either a floater or an extra pass, which is in their wheelhouse. The accuracy with which he makes these deliveries, the ability to manipulate the defense, the ability to pass in different directions in dynamic situations. If there's a loose ball, he has tremendous vision. He has tremendous awareness of where the pieces are on the court. So overall, this is someone we think of as a very good passer, but how do we stack up these two guys, like take Simmons and Lowry, especially if most of Simmons is sort of leverage passing opportunities come in transition and Lowry's coming a in a completely different environment I mentioned manipulation there um, anyone who's seen my LeBron James passing profile heading into the 2020 season t- I talk about these five tools of passing these this is part of this project that I've been sort of trying to make this video on passing for a couple years now and the five tools that I kind of have landed on are anticipation meaning when you throw good passes you cannot just wait to 
react. I mean, you can, but you're taking something off the table. You're going to miss opportunities if you don't anticipate both your man's positioning and opportunity and what the defense is going to do. So that first level could be anticipation. Uh, The second one is speed. That's speed of the passes and speed of the release of the passes, the, the, the trigger. Both of those are so critical. How fast is that? It's like a quarterback in the pocket. How fast can you get the ball out at any given time? Sometimes this can be off the dribble. But even if you're not dribbling and you're holding it, you know, that extra whatever it is, two-tenths of a second or three-tenths of a second, for a scrambling, rotating NBA defense, I mean, the athleticism and the, and the speed of the game is so fast that that can make a difference. You know, I don't know what it is, how many, you know, 20% of opportunities the window will close in that time or whatever it is, but the faster you are with your delivery and with your trigger, the better. And speed also sometimes requires touch, right? Some passes can't be too hot. Some passes need to be soft and feathery. So we have anticipation, we have speed. I mentioned manipulation. That can be a huge one. That's always one I look for when guys get to a higher level because they're understanding the pieces on the chessboard. They're trying to move the defense around to carve up more opportunities. You know, carving up and creating opportunities with passing doesn't just have to come from dribble penetration. As I alluded to earlier, it doesn't just have to come from the threat of pick and roll or pick and roll shooting. Back in the old days, it was the post primarily. Uh, Boy, the game was so... uh, We'll get to this in the peak series, but... Uh, just kind of going through 90s and 2000s film this summer, uh, the game was so post-oriented that a lot of your sort of passing angles were, okay, where's my double team coming from, things like that. Same kind of stuff applies today, but where's the help defender coming from? Where, how are my pieces set up? Do I have two cutters? Do I have a corner shooter? Do I have a guy in the dunker spot? All that stuff. Uh, that's kind of like your your court mapping, which relates to the things we're talking about, you have to anticipate those things, the speed has to be there, and then your manipulation allows you to hold defenders or move defenders based on those pieces. The fourth one is accuracy. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. The more accurate your passes are to your shooters or your finishers, the better. And the fifth tool I've used, and again, I don't know if just reducing to these five dimensions covers 100% of the landscape we could talk about here, but I think it covers most of it. And the fifth one is directionality, which is the ability to pass in different directions, 360 degrees around you based on your vision. But also what that practically means in most situations is you have more than one tool to get your pass off. So you can flip it, you can bounce it, you can go behind the back, you can touch it you know, with a little stiff, you know, a little short arm over the top. You can fling it off the bounce with either hand, bounce pass, chest pass. All those kinds of things help you with passing directionality and prevent you from being kind of dominant in either one side or one plane. Boy, I've gone and done it, haven't I? I said I was going to get right to the list. And now we're 20 minutes in and I've been um, 
in, in passing philosophy land, hold on, let me just puff on my pipe a little bit here. Um, let's, let's take a quick break and then we will get to the top 10 passers in the NBA. Sponsors are a great way to directly support this podcast. And today's sponsor is The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash thinking basketball pod will get you for a limited time a dollar a month to access The Athletic app. Of course, they have basketball coverage nationally, locally. Uh, Seth Partnow was on recently. Uh, he just put out a top NBA tiers, um, the top 120 five or so players in the league grouped into different tiers. And of course, I disagree with Seth on a few of those, but this was a fantastic sort of compendium on these players and the the quality at different levels around the league. He comes at it from the perspective of how teams might stack up and compare these things, his discussion points around players is very interesting. And having done this list uh, of sub all-stars that I do every year out to, that takes me out to about 60 or 70 players. Uh, It's very interesting to see someone else go through that kind of exercise beyond just, you know, a top 10 or a top 25 and really get into it. So pieces like that uh, always make me excited in the morning to flip open the athletic app, which I've customized with the writers that I'm interested in reading uh, and checking out what's new in the morning, uh, cap stuff, analysis, trades, insider, um, conceptual articles. They, they've got a ton of stuff over there at The Athletic. Once again, theathletic.com slash thinking basketball pod that helps support this podcast and for a limited time great deal one dollar a month for your first six months check that out okay where was i top 10 passers in the nba Hmm. i think there's a tendency to look at the names i have here and want to go with chris paul at number 10 but i'm not sure i'm going to do that i don't know how much i'm feeling that let me let me tell you why i think first of all i've said this before I think Paul gets overstated a bit in the all-time passing pantheon because he's a little too conservative for my liking. But what's happened in the last couple of years is as his athleticism has declined, as he's fading, um, he still has all these tricks of the trade. He's still a fantastic passer. Obviously, I'm talking about him as the top 10 passer in the league. But it goes back to that discussion about creating opportunities. And I see him able to create fewer chances with his scoring threat than he normally did, you know, say five years ago. But more than that, to compensate at times for his his slow decline that age has brought, I don't think he, you know, has the the fast twitch um, deliveries that he used to have per se. And so this this means higher turnovers on passes that I don't think he would make turnovers on anymore, or he's just working, working his way through a move or through a screening or pick and roll situation into a snake. And he's spending more mental energy to get into that shot than he would have a few years ago. And I think that has limited some of his passing from the the studies that I've done. Two honorable mentions I want to throw out who also I think are kind of in this range. I mean, some of these decisions are philosophically so tricky. It's like, 
if someone says, oh, I have Chris Paul sixth or seventh on this list, and someone else says I have him 16th, I'm not even sure it would require too much too much explanation to see that kind of difference. It's just very difficult to parse. And so two more players that present different kinds of strengths and weaknesses. Spencer Dinwiddie, a guy I've talked about before, uh, he's not a flashy passer per se. He's a fairly efficient passer. Most of his passing comes out of the pick and roll game. But I think he actually does this quite well, um, well enough that I want to talk about him, whether you think he's you know, a legit candidate for the 11th best passer in the league or the 19th or whatever. But part of Dinwiddie's game, you know, if he were a significantly better defender, I, I think we're ta- we'd be talking about an all-star player in the league. And that's not to say, hey, Dinwiddie is, a, is an abysmal defender or anything like that. It's just that he's a really good offensive player and he's a really good offensive player for a variety of reasons. But I think the one that never gets talked about enough is his ability to make the kinds of passes you want a guard and pick and roll player to make. And like I said, he's not flashy. You're not thinking of flash here, but there's a lot of quality. There's, there's a decent amount of substance uh, in his passing game. Um, the other honorable mention, and I think he is a little bit flashier, I think in general his vision is probably a little bit better, but he's limited by having less skill uh, and fewer opportunities, and that's Tomas Sadoransky. Uh, Sadoransky, Sadoransky, Sadoransky? Uh, oh no. <laughs> Longtime listeners know I can get myself uh, really turned around when I start questioning my pronunciation of someone's name. It's a it's a Van Vliet situation all over again. Uh, Tomas Sadoransky, try it again, um, really, you know, kind of quietly good pick and roll passer, but I think he's, he's not great in that area per se, probably because of his scoring threat, which isn't that forceful going into the teeth of the defense or whatever, but he's much better to me at like general vision, backdoor, broken plays like he makes a ton of good passes uh, when I watch him on film in different settings so another guy I mean all these guys are really good passers Um, I actually found at this list it was a little easier to differentiate at the top than at this level so with all that said I think I'm going to go at number 10 with Draymond Green and I've talked about Draymond Green's passing before He's never really, of course, a guy who's going to run pick and roll, but he's got three things that I think he does really, really well. He's consistently done them well. He has good instincts for them going back to Michigan State, and kind of that's why I trust his overall acumen to say, okay, if we're starting the top 10 list, I'm starting to feel more comfortable, but I can see you know, going in a lot of different directions here. So what are those three things with Draymond? One transition. Very strong transition passer, grab and go, getting to the middle of the floor. Um, he'll throw bounce passes. He'll push all the way into the paint, wait for a defender to commit, and then lay it off softly to the side. Or he'll throw that little soft one over the top. That's connected to his second strong area. I think he's good at outlets. Um, not the best outlet passer in the world, but has that instinct, that desire to look ahead, that anticipation that comes with that. And then thirdly, in the half court, 
all the back doors and cuts and all of the things that go with what Golden State does, not everyone makes those passes. Those aren't easy passes to make. And if you look at someone like Bam Adebayo, who I think rightfully has been complimented on his passing improvement and on his passing performance this season in Miami, he's very much like Draymond Light to me. With the emphasis being on Light. Because while he makes a good number of those passes, you can see some some that he misses or that his delivery uh, isn't quite as effective. You know, Green, when we talk about accuracy or anticipation... I mean, he's got speed on his ball. He's got touch. He can put little English on it. He's made a lot of passes over the years. He can get downhill as the short roller, of course, and make that lob pass. Um, boy, that's ironic that I didn't mention his short roll passing. One of the one of the great short roll passers we've seen in the league, and and I left that out of my uh, three things that he excels at. So I think that overall body of work makes me a little more confident with Draymond being on my list, at least as of today, at least the way the wind is blowing right now as of recording this. Um, the other guy, well, I guess we'll put him at number nine, is Rajon Rondo. And Rondo represents a different set of philosophical challenges because I feel like with him, he hits more home runs. He makes more passes kind of than most of the guys we've talked about as you go through a season or a playoff run or wherever, where you're watching and you're like, holy moly, I got to make a note of that. How did he make that pass? Or that was a crazy good pass. So he kind of has more high-end passes, but he also feels more boom or bust. You know, uh, one of the things I've criticized him for before is pounding the ball a little too much, and that can create minor tunnel tunnel vision or prevent you from kind of making those extra passes and moving the play along. Um, sometimes he can make really lazy passes. Uh, you know, that adds up. I, I do count that when you just um, have a brain cramp, throw it out of bounds. Uh, you have an entry that should be a basic entry and you kind of flub it. Um, you, your turnovers are increased because of this. So I view Rondo as a boom or bust passer in a way if you follow what I'm saying. And so therefore, uh, you know, he could be lower on the list. I could even see him being slightly higher depending on how you stack up these high leverage passes. Okay, at number eight, and now when we get to the top eight, these are the guys I would say over the last two years that I'm the most comfortable with, although there's definitely uh, two or three players in here that I think are tricky or a little bit more controversial or whatever. But these top eight, these are all players that I have done either passing profiles on or entire profiles that have detailed passing breakdown. So a lot of film study, um, some data analysis, things like that. And at number eight, Ricky Rubio. And Rubio is another one of these guys who I look at him and I wonder if he had a more expansive offensive game with the scoring and the shooting, how much how much more would that open up his passing? His already really strong passing. He's a well-rounded passer. He'll hit entry passes well, um, soft, feathery entry passes as needed, good vision. I think maybe one of his best passing tools is that he hits cutters well and, and in short spaces. He's like short space, short space passing. Boy, that's a tough one for me to say, apparently. 
the short space passing uh, in the paint, little, you know, eight, 10 footers, bounce pass, lob, whatever it is. Kyle Lowry, also a really good short space passer, kind of in the same place. But Rubio, uh, good stuff in transition, some manipulation to his passing with ball fakes, uh, pass fakes. This is extra impressive if you think about how weak sort of his shooting threat can be against the typical defense. Um, And I just really good accuracy on a lot of his passes. Not a complete pick and roll passer because of the things I mentioned earlier. He's solid. He can make these. He can make the skip passes. Uh, He can make that roll man pass that so many spread pick and roll point guards need to make now. But he misses some from time to time. And, And I think, again, because he doesn't generate the same amount of pressure on the defense, can kind of come up short in that space. Number seven, boy, these start to get really, really tough. Um, And this is someone who I actually start to become comfortable making an argument for him going much higher. But for now, I'm going to put him here at seven. And that's Lonzo Ball. And I think Ball could easily be in the top five in my notes when I started this. He was in the top five. I don't think he's in a great situation right now in New Orleans in terms of his passing game. His passing strengths, incredible vision, timing, touch, anticipation. Um, His release points and his speed on his passes allow him to have, uh, you know, the anticipation needed, the directionality needed, all all of the five tools. And just incredible with outlets, fantastic in transition, one of the best dynamic passers in the league when plays are breaking down or he's on the move or things like that. I think the challenge for him has been, one, in New Orleans, very little is built around him offensively. In fact, the emphasis there has been, can you improve your spot-up three-point shooting? You're on the court to do these other things and play defense and hit spot-up threes. Obviously, you can handle some ball handling and creating opportunities, but that hasn't been the emphasis. So Brandon Ingram iso ball or trying to create downhill opportunities for Zion Williamson don't necessarily play into Lonzo as a passer. And I think he struggled with that transition at times last year uh, on tape based on what I saw at the end in 2018 with the Lakers. But just the, the vision and the very much like Rubio, just the natural instincts are phenomenal. At number six, I have James Harden. And I honestly am not quite sure where to place Harden just based on all of the challenges that we've talked about with all these different players. Because kind of like Rondo, I think Harden is phenomenal at handful of passes. Like there are a handful of passes that he maybe does better than anyone, maybe ever. Um, Specifically the left to right pocket pass and pick and roll situations, meaning the ball is on his left hand. He doesn't need to look. Sometimes he'll use his head like he's faking a shot and he'll bounce it back to the right through a pocket to a roll man, whatever. I mean, he's just so good at that pass. Now, that pass isn't always the highest leverage pass in the world. It doesn't always lead to a layup, but nonetheless, he is a master of that pass. The other one, which we haven't been able to see 
as much since Houston switched to micro ball is the feel for hitting the dunker spot with a lob and just when to throw that, how to throw that, throwing it early, throwing it accurately, and even blending his little, he's worked on his floater more, but for years he's set up his runway to finish as he gets downhill and pick and roll in such a way that as he gathers the ball and brings it up with that left hand, it's very difficult for defenses to tell whether he's going through and in, into a shooting motion or throwing a little feathery touch lob, usually to Capella on the backside for a dunk. Those two passes in particular stand out to me. And I think they probably stand out in most people's minds when they sort of praise him as a passer. Uh, his kickout passes, some of his other passes, I've talked about this before. I think he's more left to right dominant. Um, I think this is part of why teams can overload and sit on his step back because he gets in the lane. It's harder for him to pass right to left. He's someone where the directionality is kind of a clear weakness relative to some of the other strengths involved in his passing. And his passing can be so prolific in terms of number of good passes in a game that you watch and the assist totals. Uh, a lot, a lot of the times, because he has the ball so much, because he's doing so much, it's primarily on ball passing. I'm less impressed, and definitely have fewer instances that I've caught on tape over the years or cataloged of Harden doing some piece of brilliant dynamic passing or passing on the move, because that's not really his game. So, how much do you weigh? How much do you penalize one of those things versus the other in this kinds of kind of conversation? I, I don't know. Sometimes I think maybe the the podcast should be changed to the I don't know podcast. Um, so what does that leave at number five? I, boy, this is another tricky one. Very similar to Harden in some sense. They're both left-handed spread pick and roll operators. And at number five, I have D'Angelo Russell. My guess is that's a surprise to some people. But Russell's tight window pick and roll passing, his backdoor passing, his outlet passing, the speed at which he delivers some of these in the vision, um, cutters as well. All of these things are really, really phenomenal. Really phenomenal. And they come out, all of my kind of passing metrics over the years have come out very highly on him, at least in the last couple seasons. I think because of what you see on film. Now, is that like Harden more on-ball dominant? Uh, does he, as a, as a lefty, do we see as many things going to the other side of the court? Um, I think maybe you could make some of the same kind of criticisms or balancing factors to, to push back. I think like many of the guys I've mentioned in this range, the last five, six, seven names I've mentioned... Most of them just have a passing acumen, and Russell has this as well, uh, that you know, you move from situation to situation, you change teammates, so on and so forth, but you're still just a really, really good passer at the end of the day. And so whether you want to say that guy's the 10th best passer in the league or the 5th, I don't know. But D'Angelo Russell, number five. At number four, that puts Trey Young. And Trey Young, like so many of these players in this exercise, is tricky still because 
I think his passing ceiling, I think the types of passes he makes, I think his ability to manipulate defenses with the ball, with his scoring act, with his handle, um, all of the things he does out of spread, pick, and roll. Like He has basically all of the spread, pick, and roll reads mastered, but they come with a cost. They come with him being small, which means high turnovers, which means he can't make some of the passes that our top three guys can make. Um, he's still kind of trimming a little of the fat, I think, that's going to come out this year and next year and the year after as he becomes more accustomed to uh, you know, the NBA, his role in that offense, so on and so forth. But he, he really, in terms of that high-end passing, if you go back to someone like Rondo on this list, he really, really has some phenomenal spread pick and roll passes, both to the roll man in the pocket, to the lob, to a cutter backdooring, and then skip passes to the corner, to the other side of the court, uses manipulation, vision, speed, accuracy, and directionality. Does his size hurt at times? I think so. I also think like the last few guys here in this range, he's not a, because of that, he's not a threat. He's not a great off-ball or dynamic passer per se, at least that comes to mind um, off the top of my head here. But as an on-ball passer and as a spread pick and roll passer, already even at his young age, very few in the NBA do it better. And that leaves a clear top three to me. And there were three players I was most comfortable kind of putting in the top three in the inner circle. If this was just a bronze, silver, gold podcast, I would be a lot more comfortable with these three names than any of the last 10 or 15 guys I've mentioned walking through this list, walking through this exercise, trying to like balance out what it means to be better as a passer or a really good NBA passer. Uh, Number three is Luka Doncic. Not the greatest off-ball dynamic passer in the world, but I mean, he does have some vision there, does make kind of plays there but you get to see the machinery at full work when he's on the ball spread pick and roll doing his thing and I've broken this down in multiple videos but um, the kind of progressions he can go through the way he'll manipulate a defense the way he'll go from one possession to the next to manipulate the defense um, change his delivery on passes you know, one hand off the dribble, two hands over the head. His size is huge. It allows him to see over the top to jump uh, two-handed passes across the court that are coming in like Nolan Ryan fastballs, you know, getting from one side of the court to the other. So the closeout is a step later. The accuracy on, I mean, he's got, he'll throw the pocket pass behind his back or through his legs. Harden does that one as well. Um, Just really a fantastic young passer and particularly on ball and you have to love that size his vision and his instincts that he's shown since he was a teenager and I'm also assuming much like uh, Trey Young and a few of the other players I've mentioned that we'll probably see a little bit more in terms of polish um, in terms of taking out trimming some of that fat in the next couple seasons that'll be exciting because he is so far ahead at his age to be where he is as a passer already. It's, it's, it's really exciting, actually. 
Um, I should I shouldn't downplay that to be 20, 21 years old and pass like this and also have the other skills in his body and his size. Um, whew, hopefully he continues to improve in that department. And speaking of continuing to improve, uh, the top two, I've actually gone back and forth on the top two. And I think this again comes down to a philosophical difference. So at number two, I have Nikola Jokic. And I actually had Jokic won last year when I was working through this exercise. And I think you can go either way. But his vision maybe the best vision I've seen in a few decades, maybe since Larry Bird. He has this like sort of extrasensory perception of things going on on the court. If you want to look at a guy who exemplifies anticipation and manipulation and accuracy and timing and delivery and all these tools, this is basically like every Jokic pass, even the way he does his handoff, fakes fakes the handoff. Then you see a cutter coming and the defender feels like, oh, okay, I'm covering this route. But the thing is, you're not because Jokic is operating in a way that's like a top tier quarterback in the NFL in short yardage, meaning you think you have the thing covered, but he's just throwing it to the right hand instead of the left hand. So you're, you're step in step with the cutter and then he just throws the thing to the guy's right hand where you're not there yet and it's a half a foot window, a, a one foot window, the ball goes through. Uh, I mean, obviously just a passing artist just paints the court every game with his passing. So at number one, that leaves LeBron James. And if you want to argue that Jokic should be number one, he's a better pure passer he has better vision the difficulty on some of his passes is higher things like that I will not argue at all because in many ways this is a philosophical divide where LeBron is a good passer on the move he is you know one of the top outlet passers in the league top two or three just a phenomenal outlet passer he is an elite transition passer I don't personally think he's Magic Johnson in transition, but he is a high-end transition passer. And then you look at the half court and what he does. Now, remember, he's one of the few guys in the league who can really dictate offense by going to the post. But if you double him in the post, he'll still pick you apart. It's not going to be as effective as Jokic, but he can pass out of the post. Uh, He can pass on the move when he cuts. He can pass in dynamic situations. And, oh, then there's the whole spread pick and roll thing, which he has completely mastered, completely mastered. Basically, any defensive coverage you throw at him in this situation, any kind of wrinkle, any kind of personnel you have, he knows your personnel. He's going to manipulate you as the game goes on, much like what I was talking about with Luka and the progression from play to play. LeBron has that in spades. And he's going to do what? He can throw lob passes extremely well coming down the lane. He'll blend his lob passes and mix, you know, I'm going to take a floater or a jump shot into a pass. He can hit the pocket pass. He's the best skip passer in the history of basketball. Uh, The speed, the size, the delivery, going from one side of the court to the other um, in these situations where, you know, a defender takes 
one step in to plug a gap. And that's a very common kind of important thing that's happening on a basketball court in the modern NBA with all the spacing. Where do you place your pieces? Do you, do you take a step or two into a driving gap? Do you close up a lane? I've done videos talking about different defensive approaches to this. It, it's a subtle thing. But I think LeBron might be the best passer ever at punishing those small shifts. So if he's got the ball coming down the left side of the court and he's holding and setting things up and he notices that the opposite low defender takes two steps in from the corner man, he's tall enough and has enough oomph on his passes to just shoot one into the corner for a three. He used to do that constantly with the Cavs uh, and he obviously is at the top of his passing game today. So hopefully this was an interesting exercise to go through together. This has been something that I've been struggling with for a very, very long time. And I don't know still really what the right way to kind of sort these players out. It gets easier when you get to the top, I think, because the the strengths are so clear and there are so many of them. But a lot of great passers in the league, a lot of different components and dimensions to passing and, of course, the, the great philosophical divide, I think, is something Jokic and LeBron represent, which is if one guy can't do what the other guy does. You know, Jokic is not fast. Jokic is not going to play like a 6'3 guard and get behind screens and knife into the paint. He's a totally different kind of player. Is one a better passer than the other? I don't know. Like I said, I've had Jokic at number one for a long time, and I'm open to... Jokic at one, LeBron at two, the other way around, or either way. Either way, I'm good there. Recapping the rest of the list, uh, number three was Luka, number four, Trey Young, number five, D'Angelo Russell, six, James Harden, seven, Lonzo Ball, eight, Ricky Rubio, nine, like, who did I say at nine? Rajon Rondo, uh, and 10, Draymond Green. Remember to check out theathletic.com slash thinkingbasketballpod for that $1 a month deal. You can also support this podcast directly at patreon.com slash thinking basketball. Sign up over there for more content, Patreon-only videos. We have a Discord community, things like that. That's a great way to support this podcast, as is leaving a review or rating in your app store, whatever that may be, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to this, that helps quite a bit. Uh, thanks for bearing with the uh, banging that I've been recording through. Someone is really trying to get in and knocking on the door. I'll have to go take care of that. Um, otherwise, hope you enjoyed this one. And of course, wherever you're listening out there, that you are having a great day.